0: For week three participation, I am doing a podcast analyzing the behavioral approach, so kind of providing a summary of what it is and then really digging deep into it and kind of talking about how it is applicable to us as developing leaders. So, first of all, it really contrasts the skills approach in the sense that um, in the skills approach, it was the first time that we really acknowledged that skills could be learned but, I really like the behavioral approach because it really focuses on how leaders act and what they do and the most efficient way to do it and a big part of the behavioral approach is kind of looking through the eyes or this is this is really wasn't in the lecture, but it's kind of how i what I got from it and how I like to picture it is kind of trying to view yourself. If you're the leader, view yourself through the eyes of your followers and saying, okay, what behaviors am I displaying that you know are really admirable that they appreciate that really motivates them. But at the same time, um, but at the same time, you know, creates uh an environment for them where they feel inspired to to use their own skills. You know, don't feel too controlled. And all this this idea kind of plays into the two general kinds of behaviors, which is the task behavior and relationship behavior. These are both crucial to the behavioral approach. So um, the behavioral approach kind of started to develop by um, two schools. So we have the Ohio State Studies and the University of Michigan Studies. In the Ohio State Studies, they came out with this questionnaire, this kind of assessment called the leadership behavior description Description questions, which identifies the number of times leaders engage in specific behaviors. So a big takeaway from this is that they acknowledged, as is kind of obvious, that, you know, certain behaviors of a leader are not necessarily ideal in certain leadership positions, i.e. if you're a military leader those kind of behaviors are going to be way different from an educational leader of say a preschool or even an industrial leader of like a team of engineers so it's all going to be different so yes it's important to analyze what behaviors are appropriate but also acknowledging that it's not always going to be the same for each leadership role i want to jump back real quick to um an application of why task and relationship behaviors are so important so task behaviors obviously facilitate goal accomplishments and help goal members achieve objectives, while relationship behaviors help the subordinates or people that are being led feel really comfortable with themselves, each other, and the situation. So these two really do go hand in hand. The Really, I think of when I did soccer. What was the task? What was the goal that we were presented with each week? It was to win games, become the best athletes we could be that's physically and you know our mentality and just to grow and as athletes and become better soccer players um so that was our task that was our goal you know that that drove us but at the same time our coach would tell us constantly that all that is for nothing if our relationships within our team members are not strong enough and this really makes sense because you know if you're too task focused, I don't want to say too task focused, but if that's the only factor that you're analyzing when you accomplish a goal, I feel like you lose yourself because you're you're so okay. So this is gonna sound a little not make sense at first, but in a sense you lose yourself because you're becoming too focused on yourself. So is what I'm saying by this is the task only becomes about bettering yourself and furthering, you know, your own, your own means. But when you add the relationship factor, it kind of allows you to take a step back and kind of step outside yourself and say like, okay, obviously, you know, accomplishing these tasks are going to benefit me as a soccer player. Um, But at the same time, It's going to benefit my whole team because it's a victory. We're going to get to share in together, where we get to rejoice in together, where we get to grow as people and as athletes together. That should be the main driving factor. So without relationship, the task is for not because this idea of you're going to lose yourself by focusing too much on yourself. But at the same time, if you only have the relationship aspect, I don't know, at the same time, like, that's great, you know, relationships are so crucial and important, but if you just have relationships, and you're not really focused on achieving a goal, then you and the people you're in relationship with aren't really growing as people, when really, I believe, you know, one of the amazing things about relationships is learning from each other, growing from each other, and improving just as people, and as a team, a family, um, you know, a business, corporation, a club, whatever the organization is. So both are just so crucial and go hand in hand, which I personally really like about the behavioral approach because I think it focuses on the two most important factors of leadership, of accomplishing goals. So, um oh yeah, I never really touched on what the University of Michigan studied in their results. So they too explored leadership behavior. And they provided a specific emphasis on the impact of leadership behavior on the performance of small groups. And I kind of already talked about this um, in my kind of soccer example. Um, how when when they kind of, when the University of Michigan in their studies, they isolated their small groups. It kind of helped them pull out the task and relationship aspects. And the I don't know, because it was just a smaller group of people. So they were... They were really able to focus their energy and be like, okay, what are the two most important behaviors in achieving these goals? And um, they had two, they resulted with two types of leadership behaviors conceptualized as opposite ends of a single continuum. One being employee orientation, which is strong human relations and the emphasis on that. Um, as well as the second one, production orientation, which stress the technical aspects of the job. So, exact same thing: strong human relations, and strong technical aspects of a job, which is basically the same thing as task. Okay, so now I wanna take probably the majority of the rest of this podcast to talk about the Blake and Mountain's leadership grid, which was developed in the early nineteen sixties and used in organizational training and development which explained how leaders organized to reach their purposes, had two factors. One, the concern for production, concern for people. Again, same idea of task and relationships, simply just in in different phrasing. So the the first type of Mountain's leadership grid was the idea of authority and compliance, which is the leadership technique defined as the efficiency in operations resulting from arranging conditions of work such that human interference is minimal. And, you know, it was interesting because as I was learning this, I was like, this does not seem like the best kind of leader. It's, I don't, it just came across as very controlling, demanding, hard-driven, and somewhat overpowering. But then, and this is talked about in the lecture, and it is so true that no, as negative as that can sound, it's crucial not only to individual teams, but when I think of teams, I think of just like how those individual, like those certain groups make up a society as a whole. So really they end up being crucial to the society as a whole. Meaning that these kinds of leaders, they this kind of leadership approach, it breeds, I believe, the best surgeons, the best mechanics, the best engineers um i was gonna say military leaders but i actually wouldn't say that in this case because i think military leaders are should be a lot more focused on people than this specific approach but so mainly in terms of surgeons mechanics and engineers they are primarily task task driven and they have to be so um, it is interesting as going through this grid, thinking of like, okay, just because a definition of one of these sounds, you know, either too overbearing or too passive for a leadership approach, each does truly play its, play its role in society. Um, The second one, which is honestly one of my favorites, which is the idea of a country club leadership approach, which really focuses on thoughtful attention. Um low concern with task accomplishment accomplishments, high concerns with interpersonal relationships. I mean, we see this most in uh managers of hotels or you know people you talk to at Apple when your computer's broken. It's all you know focused on kind of customer satisfaction, which is great. But does that play into every part of society? No, because sometimes I do believe the task is more important than time um, kind of appeasement of, of the people involved. Um, and just to like step back before I kind of keep going through all these examples, thinking of how within these leadership roles, as I said earlier... Um, each one may require different leadership approaches. It's interesting to take back and kind of have a like thinking of all these examples of what leader, what groups require a more authority kind of leader or more country club kind of kind of leader or more of an impoverished or a team kind of leader, which we'll get to in a little bit. You know, all these teams that are run by different kinds of leaders. You know come together in a society and just make this body of society that is so much more effective and way more effective than if you only had teams that were made up of authority leaders or goodness even country club leaders who seem like great leaders but if you only have those and you don't have have any authority leaders then society just isn't going to be as productive so, the third one is this idea of an impoverished leader, and um even though each each leadership trait can play a role, this is probably one of my least favorites um this idea of minimal effort exerted to get work done in order to stay in organizational membership um overall that does not sound good. however, in particular, even though I'm not the biggest fan of this one, there is um one specific role that I do think this is really important and I believe that is in the club at a school a high school um is why I personally that's just from personal experience me being involved in clubs in high school you know it, it was it was good practice for whatever leader that was heading up the club to so it it was a good chance. For them to have a position where they can learn and develop as leaders, but I also came across, and I'm sure a lot of my classmates would agree with this, when you're being led by student peers that are your age on your level are going to sometimes lower, like if you're in you know, school club and you're a senior and the club's being run by a junior, you know, it's really easy for a leader to kind of get all excited about this kind of new power they have, And just to really be overbearing with it. And to just. To just kind of get in their own head. And you know. Which just breeds pride. And arrogance. And those are just the worst kind of leaders. In my experience. That you know. I talked about earlier. In this podcast. That you become so task driven. That you kind of lose yourself. um, By focusing too much on yourself. Because the best way to grow yourself is through learning from other people but you know if if you're this kind of immature leader who's you know heading up a, a a grade school club or a high school club you know you really have to be careful to not become overpowering so i think that the best way to start and i think faculty at school should do this personally um Not be over controlling with the club leaders, but just kind of check in every once in a while, and just kind of sit down with these leaders of different clubs and org student organizations, and really talking to them about like how to how to develop into strong leaders, and I think that would start, as, kind of this impoverished approach, which is just kind of like, you know, you're just kind of getting the work done and kind of letting the people within your club flourish and thrive and bring their ideas and their experience to the table and honestly i when i was kind of learning about these different aspects of this leadership grid some of these are stepping stones like i think the impoverished approach could be kind of a a starting point for a new leader but eventually you know they might have to go to develop into the middle of the road and then like into a team leader Um, Maybe one day into an authority leader. So that's something else I was thinking of as going through this grid. Uh, Another one I want to talk about is called the middle of the road leadership approach. Which is just basically focusing on the adequate organizational performance that's possible by balancing the necessity of getting work done while maintaining satisfactory morale. Again, this can be great. But also, it does bring forth this idea of compliances and avoiding conflict. I personally do not like a leader that avoids conflict. Um, never have. I, I really don't think that's a good trait. Um, now, even though middle of the road as a whole could be an effective, you know, leadership technique for certain roles. Um, this specific specific aspect of of avoiding conflict, I will never agree with. Um, in the sense that, okay, that probably sounded bad in the sense that obviously you want to maintain peace um, as much as possible. I think that's what a leadership should do. But if conflict is presented to you that will get in the way of your the people you're leading or get in the way that the task at hand and you avoid that simply to for kind of more your own well-being... Um, for you to kind of avoid getting, you know, beat up over it, um, for lack of better words, then I think that breeds a weak leader, which it will be reflected on by the, the accomplishment of whatever task is at hand and as well in the attitudes of the leaders and, or of the followers. And honestly, by avoiding conflict, leaders can easily lose respect lose the respect of their followers, which really is not a good thing either. So, personally, that's my opinion, that's my experience. Um, this middle-of-the-road approach can be efficient, let's say, when tasks only need a little bit of effort. But, yeah, this whole idea of compliance, avoiding conflict, is not my personal preference. Um, oh, and then... The last one of the main grid. There's kind of more that come off of this, but definitely the last one of this main grid is this idea of team, which is kind of what I started off this podcast discussing. It's this idea of work accomplished via committed people. And this, uh, this, this interdependence of a common stake in the organization's purpose, which leads to relationships of trust and respect. They really... I believe this team approach is the embodiment of the behavioral approach as a whole because it is all task and relationship. A perfect example of this is a coach. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I had this Pardon me. Um, a coach. I already talked about this. Oh, you can't have the task aspect without having the relationship aspect. The relationship aspect, as great as it is, won't be as efficient if you don't have a task. So yes, um, okay. Then we kind of get to uh, a few two outliers of this behavioral approach, um, though they're not a part of the original five. I think they're still very important to really think about. So this idea of a paternal paternalism and maternalism leadership approach. When I was learning about this. The kind of first thing I thought of was sororities and fraternities, and I mean part, yes, part of that was was through the the terminology of using paternalism and maternalism. but but the part that really made me think of fraternities and sororities. Where, okay, not, I shouldn't say this approach as a whole. It was more one specific ac- aspect of it, which was the idea of considering the organization as a family, which, and as Professor Bruce discussed, sounds good, but honestly can be really toxic. And to the point where if a crime or, or something law breaking and just bad is going on within the group, but the the other members are not willing to to bring justice to the situation by um, not willing to bring justice to the situation by um, by being honest with law enforcement officers if when questioned and they have to lie. That's just so destructive to who who you are as a person, and this is a really morbid example, but. My cousin, um, she was to Clemson, and she's in a sorority, which I actually really like the atmosphere of her sorority, but there was this one fraternity, and, and she told me a story about it, and the fraternity was removed from Clemson years ago, but there was basically, which is so sad to think about, but there was this kind of ass, so, someone died basically at the hands of these fraternity brothers. It's a really long story. I just don't have time to get into it, but it was just so heartbreaking, because it's, you know, this kind of game violence approach of, you have to do this, and in order to be kind of, like, initiated into this brotherhood, a specific fraternity, and eventually, you know, the perpetrators were, were brought to light, which, side note, another thing about having an organization that breeds off lying to protect each other the truth tends to be discovered at some point so really it just doesn't do anyone any good at all Um, even if you're trying to protect your brother like they're gonna get found out eventually Anyway, so it's just overall very bad but anyway so um, but the brothers in this fraternity that participate in this horrible act were just constantly, or sorry of me they were constantly protected by those in the fraternity that didn't participate in it and um they were able to kind of uphold this lie facade for a little bit, but eventually the story started to conflict and um they were found out and they too are serving their time serving their sentences for this act even though they weren't the ones that really that truly committed the murder and anyway so. So that is just so scary to think about. And more, more of a lighthearted note. Um, I think of the office when I think of the organization as a family, cause, cause there's one episode, when um the boss, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but he talks. He's bring he brings everyone into a meeting, and everyone just looks tired and like not happy to be there. And he's like, this business, like this organization, we're, we're family here. And he just kept going on and on about this family in- environment he's trying to create and you know it, it was way more lighthearted than my first example but um but you know it's a very comical kind of imagery of this idea of organization as a family but it was funny the funniest part to me was seeing um the workers you know at in the office um how they were looking at each other and, like sneering because it's like this is not my family you know this is my work Um, I'll do my best here, but my family is at home. Like, I work, I'm doing this job for my real family. And, anyway, I just think it's so important that even though this sounds good, it's really so toxic. And I've heard multiple examples, but the one about the fraternity has always stuck with me. Anyway, um, but if you look at it from a different perspective... Where, okay, so the definition of this approach is more the reward and approval um, bestowed on people in return for loyalty and obedience. A failure to comply leads to punishment. Now, one thing that I can think of where this is good is um, in the sense of teaching. Teachers give their students approval and promote and teach obedience... Um, failure to comply leads to punishment, which is not a bad thing. Punishment is, well, if it's properly directed punishment, helps people grow. It really does. So, you know, this approach is really beneficial in a role such as a teacher. Next one I want to talk about is opportunism, where people adapt and shift to any, sorry, sorry, let me rephrase that. So opportunism more refers to when leaders adapt and shift to any grid style, um, needed to gain Mm -hmm. maximum advantage, um, but here's the issue with this approach, it's that their performances can occur according to a system of selfish gain, um, they will use any combination of the basic five styles for the purpose of personal advancement, and they can be ruthless and cunning. So opportunism if you span that out for your whole group to be an opportunistic group, I don't think that's a bad thing by taking advantage of opportunities as long as other others aren't hurt in the process. But if you're an opport just an opportunistic leader, then really your followers all they become are tools to to advance you. And that's not a team anymore. You're not a leader anymore. You're a dictator. Which I guess people could say is a kind of leader. But really, true leadership, I do not think that's what it really is. Um, but, But yeah, so opportunism, again, can be good if channeled in a certain way. But if it's only focused on the leadership, leaders, sorry, the leader's advancement in society, so bad. And that person should be removed from leader leadership a leadership position right away now however so if you recall i was talking about how the opportunism can be ruthless and cunning but it can also be adaptable and strategic so again adapting the idea of opportunism to where it affects your team and the accomplishment of your goal as a whole and again it does bring a strategic side of of taking advantage in positive ways. Taking advantage of things is not always bad. As long as other people aren't harmed in the process, you're, you're using the most of what's in front of you, your resources. Um, okay, so almost done. But I just want to kind of briefly go over strengths and criticisms because we do this at the end of every um, approach we study. And I think it's really important because there are great takeaways we can take away from these approaches. Also, not so great ones so that should be avoided. Again, I know I've said this a thousand times, but tasks and relationships, biggest part of the behavioral approach, crucial to to a leadership role, in my opinion and my experience, by far. Um, another thing I really do like about the behavioral approach is that through it, you can really learn a lot from yourself as a leader, but also... How you come across to others. So the whole idea of seeing yourself through your followers' eyes, I think, is so important and an important exercise and just habit that leaders need to do with every decision. You know, every day they wake up that morning and go to lead that group. How how can I see myself through my my followers' eyes? How do I want to see myself through my followers' eyes? Um now and contrary to the trait approach. Behavioral approach includes behaviors and the actions of of themselves and analyzing that, not just their traits. What are my behaviors and what are my actions? And again, I think that does go hand in hand with trait approach because it focuses on, okay, what traits do I want in order to, or sorry, what behaviors and actions do I want in order to develop, develop certain traits? Again, what traits do I want my followers to see in me? It all kind of... You know flows and goes hand in hand once you start kind of thinking of these important concepts and aspects of leadership, and all this kind of starts to flow and and circulate um, Another plus it just from a more database level, there are a broad range of studies on leadership style and um, and there's credibility to the basic tenets of the approach, so that's always good when studies back up. Um. These things. Now there are some criticisms in the sense that that research has not always adequately demonstrated how leadership styles associate with performance outcomes. So again, these sound great, but do they really benefit performance outcomes? Um, other thing um to be careful of is that it implies that the most effective effective leadership style is a high-high style, i.e. high task, high relationship, and the research finding on this is limited, so, um, even though these things seem obvious, later, the, the data does not always back it up, but anyway, so yeah, so far, I would personally say that's my favorite, um, approach is a behavioral approach, um, just in my personal experience, and from what I've heard, I really think it's probably the most effective approach. It has a lot of different aspects to it and a lot of different takeaways. But yes, so um, I'm going to end this podcast here. Until um, next time.